This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. As we lead into a discussion about impaired driving numbers, and remember the McLean survey looks at 237 urban centers, London ranks 215th in impaired driving, going in the right direction. But Mike raised a really interesting point that I think we do need to consider. He has emailed and he says, I have an issue that there is a huge difference between what a crime is charged at and what a crime is cleared once it has gone through the courts. Certainly not proud of it, but he says he's had a number of friends that have been charged with drinking and driving through the years. Every single one of them has fought it in court. Charges eventually have been reduced to careless driving or reckless driving. Therefore, it does not appear as an impaired driving charge. So the impaired driving statistics become vastly inaccurate. Well... Let's talk with the CEO of Mad Canada and let's look at numbers like this and let's look at impaired driving overall in 2019. Please welcome Andy Murray, CEO of Mad Canada to London Live. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. You're most welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. We've been going through some of these numbers and at the same time saying let's let's not get too specific on numbers, but one of the ones that really stands out is a very low ranking and low being good low for the city of London, Ontario, when it comes to impaired driving. Now, even if we were to generalize and and kind of look at, okay, well, there's out west, there's Ontario, there's Quebec. Do you find that maybe accurate that in Ontario, maybe even in southwestern Ontario, we would have low impaired driving numbers? Yeah, so I mean, I think the two factors, generally Ontario, uh, compared to the rest of the country, has low impaired driving uh, numbers, and especially the urban centers, uh, the big cities throughout uh, Ontario have, you know, relatively very low rates. If there's an issue, it's more in the rural communities, um, two-lane type of roads in Ontario. Okay, so... Is is there? I mean, we could make a lot of inferences that there's more public transit downtown. It's easier to get to public transit. Would that, you think, be a, enough of a factor to illustrate the difference? Well, the the other big one that's happened in the last couple of years has been the uh, inclusion of ride sharing. So that has made a huge impact. Um, unfortunately, um, the ride sharing hasn't. Uh, penetrated down into the very small communities, but in the urban uh, communities, just there's no excuse. There's plenty of availability of rides, whether it be, you know, a taxi, ride-sharing, public transit. So it has made quite an incredible difference. Andy Murray joining us, CEO of Mad Canada. As we look at impaired driving in 2019, based on the fact that London ranked very low, good low, in a McLean's survey regarding violent crime in Canada, but it did take time to rank impaired driving. So some of those numbers illustrating that. When it comes to impaired driving, there maybe is a sense, Andy, that it has plateaued. Those who are going to drive impaired are going to drive impaired. Everyone else has kind of backed off this. What do you feel exists right now with regard to impaired driving in that sense? So as we were just talking about with the ride sharing, the the alcohol numbers have gone way down. So we're we've really hit some record lows in that capacity and we should celebrate that. Um, but at the same time we've seen an emergence of 
drug-impaired driving, still-impaired driving, and um, it's very concerning. The rates are very high. So that's kind of the major focus, and they're just not separated into drug-impaired or alcohol-impaired. There's a lot of people, especially young people, that mix, and so also that's a lethal combination. So that's kind of where we need to, and it's the same message on alcohol. There's no need for it. There's other options out there. If you're going to partake, you know, find an alternative, plan ahead for that. But uh, there's no excuse uh, for the behavior of impaired driving. Do you think we'll ever get to the point where we can say, wow, remember the days when people used to drive impaired? You're kidding. People used to do that? No way. That would never happen. Do you think we'll ever get there? Uh, We will, but it won't be just solely on behavior. We'll have the use of technology that basically won't allow you to do impaired driving, just like some other traffic safety things like distracted driving. So, um, you know, we need to continue to focus on that till that day that that technology basically doesn't allow it to happen. We haven't been using the words drunk driving because it is now impaired driving with the legalization of marijuana. Andy, looking back over the last year and a bit, how much of an impact do you feel that's had? We, you know, we're not at the point where we can assess it yet. Um, so the numbers leading into it were high. Um, and so we're seeing, you know, the police getting up to speed with some of the new technology and training. Um, but I wouldn't imagine that made a big impact. And so um, the sense is, you know, people um, were respecting that cannabis is an impairing drug. And so, um, you know, hopefully we can kind of see these numbers both on the drug side and the alcohol side continue. So in the next six months, we should have a sense of what legalization, you know, the impact of legalization on driving on our roads in the next uh, little while. Andy, let's talk again when those numbers come out. Thank you so much for your time and your insight today. You're most welcome, Mike. Thank you for the opportunity. Andy Murray, CEO of Mad Canada on impaired driving numbers and what he sees going forward. He believes eventually the technology will make it impossible to drive impaired. I don't know how close we are to that right now. We're probably still a ways away. And then, you know what? Unfortunately, there's always ways for people to hack technology and to try to beat it. You know, the idea that, well, you've got to have a a breathalyzer attached to a vehicle. Yeah, but if you've got a buddy who can blow into it for you. You don't think that's done? Unfortunately, that's done. And Mike ended up making a good point even before the interview took place regarding how many impaired driving charges wind up being dropped or changed based on what happens in court. This Sunday marks the 107th edition of the Grey Cup. The Hamilton Tiger Cats, and there are some season ticket holders from London who go to Hamilton. John Harkins, how are you doing? Great Ticats supporter. He'll be happy. He will have a special Ticats outfit. I know somewhere he would have used it for golfing. But he will be ready for this game this Sunday. But you think about it, the Hamilton Tiger Cats have not been in the Grey Cup since, or have not won the Grey Cup, since 1999. Winnipeg has not won since 1990. 
So you're looking at two franchises that haven't enjoyed the greatest success of late. 1990? Seriously, that anniversary is getting set to turn 30. If the Blue Bombers do not win this weekend, it will stretch on. It will turn 30. 30 years in the Canadian Football League that, for the most part, has had eight and nine teams, and you can't jump into the rotation? You know, you, you should, be, should be winning that every eight or nine years, and the Blue Bombers just haven't. But it makes you wonder, have these teams even met in the Grey Cup? The answer is yes. Last time it happened was in the mid-80s, and it wasn't that great a game. Winnipeg won it, and Winnipeg scored the final 44 points of the game. Yeah, Dieter Brock played in that game. Remember Dieter Brock? There's a blast from the past if you follow Canadian football. But let's kind of get a picture as to how these two teams got here, and let's also talk a little bit about basically the weather that is awaiting everyone. It's supposed to be sunny on the weekend, so we're not anticipating a snow bowl, but it is quite chilly in Calgary, Alberta, where the Grey Cup is going to be held. Zach Medeiros knows a little bit about playing in cold weather conditions because he's played some playoff football for the Toronto Argos and for the Ottawa Red Blacks, won a Grey Cup with the Red Blacks a couple of years ago, and joins us now to break this one down. Zach, when we saw the Ticats getting off their plane, people were firing toques at them. And you could see everyone's breath that just seemed to be freezing in the air. The conditions out in Calgary are not exactly warm. No, they are not. And you know what? I've actually been fortunate because I remember when we played in Grey Cup uh, back in 2016, it was in Toronto. And I think going into the game, it was only two degrees, which is still a bit chilly at that <laughs> time. But you're talking about going out west of Calgary, where right now they've already had temperatures hitting below minus 15, probably worse than that with, with the wind chill in, included. So... Um, it's going to be a bone-chilling game because we all know if they're that dry cold, oof, that's going to be rough to play on. As a kicker, how hard does the football get? Oh, it gets hard. It gets very hard. The key is is keeping your feet warm. So for Liram and Medlock, stay by by those heaters for as long as you can because obviously with the big boys on the offense and defense, they're going to be surrounding that thing all game. So whenever you get a chance, be around that same. Otherwise, your foot's going to go numb. But, uh, yeah. That'd be the key for me, and keep the footballs as warm as possible, too. Wrap them in warm towels, do whatever you need to do, because it is going to be cold out there. It's going to be like kicking bricks. Yeah, and that's just it. I mean, if you stand around, you think about football cleats, they certainly have come a long way in terms of protection, in terms of the ability to either grip the turf or grip the field, depending on what bottoms you're using. But at the same time, these are not winter boots. I mean, do your toes start to get numb on the sidelines in cold games? Oh, no, no doubt. And they, they have those, those things like the hot pockets that you normally see in hand warmers. Um, they have some that you can in, in, in certain, certain football cleats too. But what I'm actually curious to see is, because uh, I remember last year in Edmonton, I don't know if you remember this, but the, the cleat that, or uh, the, the, the field out there, they, they, had, they had some issues keeping that, uh, that warm. And if, if you remember, there's a lot of football players during that game for Ottawa and uh, Calgary that were in those old school Nike cleats from back in like the 70s, like, like the turf shoes. Yeah, but they're still slipping all over the field. So I'm, I'm going to be curious to see how what they use, maybe like like a warm tarp or something, some sort of thing like that to keep the field a bit dry and not as, as slick and icy as it was last year. Because there's a lot of guys who had a tough time finding their uh, footing on the field. Well, at least you've got great training crews now. Because if you rewind time, Glenn Weir 
who played in the Canadian Football League years ago, former All-Star, but he remembers a Grey Cup that he was playing in, and they had the wrong cleats, and they're slip-sliding all over the field. At halftime, the trainers came in, and they had these industrial staplers that they'd found somewhere, and they said, hey, take off your take off your shoes, take off your cleats, give us your cleats, and they actually punched staples through the bottoms of the shoes, and they went out, and I think they won that Grey Cup, and they credit it to the industrial staples so yeah footing footing's big footing's absolutely big we're talking with zach medeiros about the gray cup zach is with the toronto argonauts as they look to get back to the gray cup in the near future but let's look at the fact that it is hamilton and it is winnipeg let's take hamilton first what in their performance allowed them to beat a very good edmonton team Ooh, you know i'm gonna start with edmonton and i think part of this too was you know what? I was thinking a bit with my heart than it was my head. Um, but I honestly believe that Edmonton had had a very good chance to win the, this game with the former teammates I had, friends on that team. Um, for them to get to this point, it was going to be huge. So I thought they're going to kind of build off that confidence and uh, momentum going into this game. But, geez, I clearly did not give Hamilton enough credit. I mean, you look at their offense. I mean, Dane Evans looked like a seasoned Mike Riley out there with some throws he was making on the run, just staying as cool and calm as he can in the pocket not turning the ball over. Um, and the keys that last week I was talking about is, you know, is he going to be able to find Banks and Braylon Addison, like his, his two all-star wide receivers that were studs for him the entire course of the season. And they both got over 100 yards. Um, establishing the, the, the run game for both teams, that wasn't really apparent in this game. But at the same time, they really needed it. Hamilton's defense, they created two or three turnovers, forced, um, forced Harris to throw two interceptions. They did their job, and Edmonton at times looked like they had a chance to get back in the game, but they didn't have enough of those lengthy, sustainable drives, and it showed. And a lot of times they, they, went, they went two and out, and I thought their, their, their defense as a whole played well for the most part, but at the same time, when your defense is always on the field, you know, you can only keep them, you know, so close, right? They're, they're going to start to get tired, and, I mean, Hamilton took advantage of that, and they had multiple chunk plays too, which I think was huge, uh, meaning that they had – I think four or five plays go over 30-plus yards, which automatically puts them in field goal range. Um, and that, I think that's, that's what kind of spoke for itself. And the other thing, too, is the turnover battle. I mean, off of Edmonton's turnovers, uh, Hamilton was able to put up 13 points on the board, which was also critical. Um, so, I mean, if they're able to uh, keep doing that, I think they're going to be my pick in the, in the Great Cup against Winnipeg. Wow, they have not won since 1999. Winnipeg has not won since 1990, so somebody's drought is about to end this Sunday as the Ticats and the Blue Bombers meet up in Calgary in the Grey Cup. As for Winnipeg, people will say, well, they got helped out by the goalposts, but they still won that football game. What has them playing well right now? Not turning the ball over. Something I haven't been do. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you look at that game, I mean, I thought, you know what, I, we, we talked about this last week, I, you know, for me it was a bit of a toss-up, this game could have gone either way, um, let's start with Cody Fajardo, F- F- geez, that's a bit of a tongue twister for me saying his name, Fajardo, he was, throughout the, the entire season, I mean, this guy was in, in the, I think he was one of the runners up for winning MOP, like he was having that great of a year for, for a first-year starter, and then he had the, he had the oblique injury two weeks ago, and everyone wondered what the health was going to be for him going into this game. And I think for the most part, he did well. But some throws, I mean, things he does a lot better than like some QBs in this league is on his feet, extending plays, throwing on the run. And some plays where we saw him on the run, trying to extend plays, he just did not look like himself. I mean, he, he threw one interception like that. 
Um, he, he had some missed throws where, where guys were open. Um, but that being said, it, it's like you said, they, they still found themselves late in the game inside of Winnipeg's 10, you know, in, in a spot to tie the game. And, geez, what a deflating feeling that is. The way your season ends is throwing the ball off the upright. I mean, no one wants to end their season like that. Um, but give credit to Winnipeg. I mean, they, they play hard all game. Their, their defense looks solid. The offense did enough um, to escape there with the victory. And uh, it should be quite the matchup going up against Hamilton. Zach Madero of the Toronto Argos joining us. Okay, Zach, before we let you go, you mentioned turnovers being an absolute key. The other thing is just the Grey Cup and the pressure that exists, what that game is like. You've been through it. You've won it. Can you put into perspective how you deal with all the outside noise? Uh, you don't. You, you turn off your social media. You focus on your team, focus on practice. And if you're called upon for, for media days, you talk to them. Other than that, you do not focus on the outside noise. You just you focus what got you here at this point, and you try to escape there with, with the victory, go into game plan. We'll see what happens this Sunday. Zach, thank you so much. Enjoy it. I know we'll talk next week. Absolutely. I look forward to it, Mike. Thanks. Zach Medeiros of the Toronto Argos on the 107th Grey Cup. Happens this coming Sunday. Joining us right now on London Live is comedian Jerry D, actor Jerry D. Jerry, I'm kind of looking at things here. You've got a stand-up tour coming to London in February. You've got the Moody's that you are a part of, and Family Feud Canada launches. This is a hectic schedule, like hectic with a capital H. <laughs> well, it's not as bad. Some of the stuff uh, just finished. Uh... Family Feud is just starting, and my tour doesn't start for another two months. So it's pretty good, though. It's good to be busy in my in my line of work. I'm not going to complain. <laughs> well, you'll be in London on February 1st at Centennial Hall. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But you just mentioned the words Family Feud. There is a Family Feud Canada that is starting up, and you are hosting this. When did you first hear that this was happening? Uh, probably six months ago I got a call. Um you know, we, Mr. D was long done and it just, I was kind of in this limbo phase and yeah, I said, I'd love to do it. I love the show. I love, I love the format and I know it well. And it seems like a good fit for my style of humor and, and, you know, my style. So it was a, it was a quick yes for me. How far back do you go with watching family feud? What do you remember first? I just remember Richard Dawson. I remember him kissing everybody on the lips, and I just find it really weird <laughs> to think <laughs> that we sat there and watched that, and no one thought anything of it. And I've watched a lot of tapes since, and it's like it's just weird. It's just a, it's just weird, you know. I don't know, but uh, but you know, he was good. He, other than that, it was he was good. He he brought. That's the first memories I have of it. I remember Ray Coombs. I remember Louis Anderson. I, I've been watching a lot of. Of of, uh, of Steve and and uh, it's it's you know it's I think Steve Harvey's the best one but there's been great hosts and I'm not trying to do what they did I'm just gonna do what I would do right and see what happens yeah man well we can count on you not uh, kissing anyone on the show I imagine yeah pretty much yeah, yeah exactly okay yeah I, I don't <laughs> think you get away with anything like that anymore yeah you're right how did he even get away with stuff like yeah, that yeah it was just a different time I guess <laughs> doesn't mean it's right but it's 
No, there won't be any of that, that's for sure. At the same time, you get to play off people. What is that like to be able to just wait for them? You have no idea what they're going to say, what they're going to come up with, and all you have to do is look back over the history of Family Feud. People will come up with either strange answers or strange things that they just all of a sudden blurt out. What is that like as a performer? Yeah, we you know, we've only shot four episodes, so I have but it, it's it's what I want. I mean it's for me it's the best when the answers aren't great. So um I it's helpful if there there's something comes sort of out of left field and you just run with it. You know, you don't know what's coming as you said, so you really don't have a lot of time to react and um yeah, I just try to have fun with it. And and if something quick comes to me I'll I'll blurt it out and run with it. We're talking with Jerry D, who will be the host of Family Feud Canada, among other things that you're up to. You're also getting set to appear in the Moody's. Now, for anybody who doesn't know much about the Moody's, can you fill us in a little bit? Yeah, the Moody's was a series in Australia that, uh, you know, and I only learned this when I got involved, that did uh, very well. It's very funny, and, uh, you know, Americans adapted it, and I got a, a part in it, and, you know, the three guys that you know, they they rewrote it and did it, made it their way, and they did a great job. And it's just this really funny, at times heartwarming comedy about a dysfunctional family at Christmas, which in a lot of ways is all of us at Christmas. You know, there's just everybody's together, and we're all older, and it's all different. And, you know, so it's it was a lot of fun. Dennis Leary, Elizabeth Perkins, Jay Baruchel, you know, it's a lot of great cast, but um, they're the stars of it, and I'm just fortunate. I have a, a small comedic part in the episode that it was a ton of fun, and uh, I'm really excited for people to say it. It was see it. It was it was my first U.S. sitcom type thing, and um, I don't even know if it's called a sitcom. It's kind of a, a hybrid, really, of comedy and uh, and heart. So it'll be fun. It'll be great. It's a great Christmas thing that everybody uh, I hope will watch and enjoy. It comes out on December on Fox. So. Uh, yeah, an exciting month. Family Feud starts December 16th. You know, that series starts December 4th, and then I'm I'm off to uh, tour, you know, in cities like London right after the new year. Jerry D. joining us. He will be in London on February 1st at Centennial Hall. When you get to look at the cast that you're going to be playing off, what is it like, you know, what's the day like when you get to get up and know, yeah, this, something's going to happen today and it's going to be fun? Yeah, you, you mean with the Moody's? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, these are stars I grew up watching, you know, you know, I didn't grow up watching Jay. Jay, I've watched as an adult, but, you know, Dennis Leary was, and Elizabeth Perkins of resumes, and, and, and so does Jay Baruchel that are very long, and I have a lot of respect for that, because I know how hard it is to uh, be successful in this business, and, um, you know, Jay's younger than all of us, and uh Jay Baruchel is a, is a Canadian icon in a lot of ways. The stuff he's done, he's directed, he's written, he's produced, he's starred in a lot of, with a lot of heavyweights, yet he's just a great guy on set, no different than anyone else. Dennis was great, Elizabeth was great. It was kind of, you know, I, I certainly couldn't be in that moment where I'm like starstruck because I got, I got to work with them. And I, you know, so I just trusted my comedy and, and just tried to fit in and stay out of their way, really. Then you've got the stand-up tour that you've you've touched on. When you're putting together a stand-up tour, can you illustrate how much work goes into actually preparing what you're going to do on stage? 
Yeah, it's a, it's it's you know it's a it's a work in progress, right? And the whole year, I'm never really not working on my stand up. I'm always writing things down and trying it out and and taking notes and you know trying to make my current bits better and the new bits stronger. And it's not something that you know you can really just put a little effort into. So as as you get closer to the tour, you start maybe trying some sets at comedy clubs and. You know, um, yeah, it's a bit of everything, but I'm ne- I'm always looking for material and writing it down. It never stops, so it's kind of a work in progress the whole time. How do you do it if something comes to you and you're on a, a freeway somewhere or a highway somewhere? So you try to remember it, uh, dictate it, you know. Try, you know, if my daughter's with me, I'll have her type it in, in my phone. <laughs> like you know, you can remember it for uh, a bit anyway, but... Um, leave yourself a lot of voice messages, you know, a lot of Hey Siri, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so for someone who is involved in comedy, where does stand-up rank these days in terms of the, the kind of the true loves and the true craft? It's up there with all of them. I, I don't really say one I like better. They're, they're, they're pieces of a puzzle. I'm very fortunate I get to do them all and you know, this hosting gig is a new thing. It's been a blast. I, I just, it's a very exciting heading into work to film. And, and um, yeah, I guess it just, I, I enjoy all of it. I enjoy all of it. And I don't really say, oh, I like this better. Right now, I haven't been able to think of one I like better. So um, I just love going from one to the other. It's just so much fun. So fortunate. Jerry D. joining us as we talk about stand-up. He'll be at Centennial Hall on February the 1st. The Moody's comes out, starts December 4th. Family Feud starts December 16th. So hectic, like we said, off the start. Jerry, when you look at at making the choice to kind of go out into the world that you're in now, do you ever think back about the day or the time that you were making that decision? Oh, all the time. It's... uh... It's a, it's a very, you know, there's a lot of reflection on, I, you know, I can't believe I'm where I'm at. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to do it that first night I tried stand up. I was going to bolt. I took forever to sign up. I took forever. I, it's one of those things. I just can't stress enough how glad I am to have tried it. And I try to tell my kids that don't look back and wonder and put your best foot forward now and, and, you know, try things and, don't sort of try to paint a path of your life because it can change quickly. But yeah, I remember that first day vividly. I remember the whole process of it. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty great to, for me uh, to have stuck with it because it was easy to quit at any time. And I'm glad I didn't, obviously. Where did you do that first stand up? Uh, yuck, yucks, Toronto. Yeah. And, and what was the process? You mentioned you signed up, you sign a sheet to say, I'm going to do this. Yeah. You know, you phone and there's an amateur night try to get your name on the list and you you know i had a i had a buddy at the time doing it and he encouraged me and i uh i'm actually standing in the 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 keg restaurant where we work together right now i'm having lunch and uh it's kind of funny that i'm talking about it here but he uh told me the path what you had to do and you call and then they call you call back on monday morning and see if you got on the list and i got on the list i think i was 17th out of 25 comics and off I went, and that was it. The rest is history. So, what was that first stand-up like? I mean, did you did you awful. listen for a it's laugh awful. or awful? No, it's awful. Just awful. Not a good experience at all. Yeah, and yeah, not you good at all. You went back. Yeah, I went back trying to figure it out, and 
I don't know why I went back. It was I didn't like the result of it. So, but it was good. It worked out, and uh, and here we are. I'm looking forward to to London, and that was a great time in that city. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to come back. When did it start getting good for you? Uh, it takes you know. There's moments. My third time, there was a moment. My probably fifth time, and you get little moments along the way that kind of you know change it for you. So. Yeah, it was good. Well, hey, it's been great chatting with you, Jerry. Thank uh, you. Best of luck with everything that you're up to, and we'll see you in February in London. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. That is Jerry D. He will be in London in February at Centennial Hall. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. 